All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Again, still sign-up sheets for meals for all the young ladies with babies. Um, and uh, it's just a better way to put it. There's just a lot of them. So sign up if you can bring them a meal. I'm sure they would appreciate it as they uh, are just enjoying their babies. And it's nice to not have to worry about that part anyway, you know. Um, guys and gals combined. Um, be nice just not to have to worry about taking care of that, that dinner. So anyway, there's a lot of sign-up sheets for that. Please feel free to fill those out. Operation Christmas Child going pretty good so far. I don't know how many we have um, so far. All those, the, the bottom four or five cartons are full. And, and uh, well, actually way more than that. There's nine over, or six over there is 10. So yeah, we've got a lot full. We've got a lot, probably 27 I think there's like 14 in a carton. Not that you care. It's doing great. I'll better leave it at that. Uh, anyway, we finish up Sunday. Actually, Monday morning we finish up, and then we'll load up in the in the trailer and take them on down to St. Joe and uh, get get our get our stuff down there. So anyway, if you want to con- come and hang out, you're welcome to. It is mostly hanging out Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Su- Sunday's our biggest day, so that'll be a busy one. Um, so anyway, um, we'll be doing that the rest of this week, three to seven um, on Monday through Friday. Uh, one to four Saturday and Sunday. So that's when we'll be open for collecting boxes. So that's been going on too. All right. Um, Today, instead of teaching the Bible, I'm going to talk about real estate. I'm an official realtor as of today. My broker got my license. Yep. Thank you very much. So I'll hand out cards at the end of the night. No. Just letting you know, it's been a long haul, and uh, it actually kind of goes along with the teaching tonight, because in chapter 9, it talks about the pastors taking pay and all that stuff, and um, it's during these times when, you know, um, well, I'll, I'll teach that in chapter 9, so you'll just have to wait how this all ties in, but anyway, yeah, I'm kind of excited. I walked in, I said, Where, you know, where's my license? He goes, I got it yesterday, I forgot to call you. This ain't going so well, Mr. Brian Twaddle. Um, no, it worked out great, so... That's where we're headed with that. You saw the 3D image we did of this of this room. Did you guys get to take a look at that? It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's, it was fun to do, but um, I, was, I was practicing because um, that's the second business I'm starting. Besides being a realtor, I'm also doing this 3D imaging for homes. And uh, so that's the second thing I'm doing. So I practiced here, and I'm going to try to do the whole property here. And it's kind of fun to, to do that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Anyway. All right, 1 Corinthians 8. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, trying to get this definitely spirit-filled church, kind of straightened out doctrinally. They're spirit-filled. They are moving in the gifts of the spirit, um, but they've got some pride issues. They've got some division issues, a lot of issues, and that's why he writes this letter. Um, we believe this is, again, probably 2 Corinthians, his second letter to them. We learned that last, last time I taught two weeks ago, um, that he's responding them with this letter. So he sent them a letter, they responded, and he's answering them with this second letter here. So then actually 2 Corinthians is really third, but we won't really, uh, we won't make that a big deal. So he's been answering their questions. Now, he's moving on to a different topic tonight. In chapter 8, he says, Now concerning things offered to idols, you asked me about that. And so he's answering them about that question. What about things offered to idols? Little background, when you would go into a, uh, temple of a foreign god, there's often a cafe right there where they would offer up these sacrifices to this god, small g, um, and then they would take that food and sell it to make money for the temple, but it had been offered up. 
Um, and so apparently some of the Corinthians were waddling on in there thinking this is great, you know, uh, it's, it's half price, you know, uh, Moloch day and they're worshiping at, they're eating Moloch food, you know, kind of thing. And some of the younger Christians were going, what are you doing going in there? We got delivered from Moloch. Uh, we worship the true and living God. And so Paul says, you know, concerning these things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So he sets the stage and lets him know, look, knowledge can puff us up. He's not saying knowledge is bad, but it can, without love attached to it, can puff us up. And of course, uh, we're going to read that in 1 Corinthians 13. And I know Alex went over that last week, but we're going to do it again. But without love, you can get puffed up with your knowledge. And he's acknowledging that. I, I'm glad you guys all know. And what he's saying is you, you know that there's, it's no big deal to eat there. You know that you're not ingesting Moloch. You know that you're not being transformed by the calories that you're consuming into a Moloch-like creature. Um, you know that. Um, but some people don't, is what he's saying. And love edifies. Your knowledge will puff you up, but love builds up. Um, one is for yourself. Knowledge is for yourself. But the love is for others. It's to edify. It's to build people up. And if you think you know something, you probably don't know it like you ought to know it, is what he's saying now. You, you don't know it, know it. If you knew it like God knows it, you wouldn't be doing it, is the idea. Just because you have knowledge of it and you understand that it's a small g and that there really is no other gods, which he's going to get into here in a minute, the fact that you're going there anyway to show that you can, well, that's a bad thing because you're hurting those that don't know that you can. And so you don't know it as well as you think you do. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other god but one. For even if there are so-called gods, little g, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and uh, we for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all living things, and through him we live. We know all that. We understand that. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, um, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not condemn us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Paul's saying we know that for a fact there's only one true living God. There is. And so behind every idol is a demon. We know that. We know that there's a lot of things going on there, fallen angels and so on. That can, But there is no other gods. Everything else is created. There's one God. And then everything else is a created being, including the angels. They're all created. And so there is no one that can actually do anything to you or for you. There are no other gods but him, but the Lord. And we know that. And so when we go to eat these things at these other cafes throughout the city for these other gods, we know that it's like, it's, it's, it's all phony. It's all fake. There's nothing to it. There's nothing material about it. Nothing spiritual is taking place when you're consuming those calories. There's nothing in that food. But someone who just got delivered from that, someone who just got out of that, doesn't know that yet. They think they've moved their affection. 
from Moloch to God. And now Moloch's mad at them. You know, that's kind of the thought that's going behind their, in their heads. This God over here is mad at me and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm against him and I'm, I'm praying against him and I'm praying for my God and I love my God and worshiping him. It's like they've just moved their affections. When actually they're placing him for the first time in anything real. That other Moloch, it was just a, an idol made by some guy named Bob in the back room. There is nothing to him. There is nothing there. It's always been stone. It's always been something you could shove over. It's always been a piece of furniture you could hang your hat on. It's nothing. But Paul says not everybody knows that. So they see you, older brother, who know that, in this cafe eating, and they can't believe that you're worshiping two gods because that's how they see it. And their conscience is bothered. Now, Paul has gone over this in depth in Romans chapter 14, which we've studied. But I want to read a few pieces out of that 14. You could read the entire chapter because it really fleshes this out for us. He gives great detail on this very subject. He says this, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let, him, let not him who does not eat uh, judge him who eats, for God has received him. For who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Don't start disputing over this stuff. And he goes into great detail about that. Um, there's a weaker brother and there's a stronger brother. Now, as he is telling these folks not to stumble a, a younger brother who's weak, remember he's writing this to a church that's going gonna, gonna to be read publicly to everybody in the congregation. So Paul, in telling the stronger brothers, don't be causing the weak brothers to stumble by eating at these cafes. He's also uh, passively teaching the weaker brothers, you know what, you need to learn this. You need to have this knowledge. You need to understand that there is nothing going on over here. You just think there is. Both have to happen. And that's a struggle. I mean, that's hard. He's telling them, older brothers, don't go into these cafes and flaunt it. Don't go into these things and saying, yeah, I'm eating Moloch food. <laughs> you know, it's no big deal. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be careful about what you do in front of the younger brothers and younger sisters. We don't want to cause them to stumble. They'll get there. Remember, we're being conformed in the image of Christ. And so the older brothers are moving closer and closer to that, an understanding of truly the grace that God has given us, that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. They fully understand this, and Paul's going to get into this. But not everybody's there yet. And you can really mess somebody up who's growing in that direction by trying to jump them into where you are. We have to be careful about that. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember that when you're trying to talk to someone about Jesus. I'm pretty far down the road by now. I mean, I'm not there yet. I haven't attained. But I, if you were to ask me a, a question about the Bible, I'm pretty sure I could give you a pretty good answer on it. But not everybody's there. And you forget that they don't have the, the background you do. They don't have the understanding. They don't have the experiences you do. And so it's troubling when you tell someone the truth. You know, Think about any topic today in the media that's controversial, you know, whether that's, um, you know, denying the fact that all gender is binary, there's either male or female, there's, there's no in-between, there's no guessing, there's no changing, you're, you're made that way. Imagine saying that on an airplane full of people that are unbelievers, 
they're going to be in shock and awe that you're one of those creepy people that believes that. But you don't just believe that because some God made you believe that. You've come to that conclusion based off of God's word, off of science, off everything that proves it. But you've got to take them through that process to get them there. You have to start where they are and work them there. You can't just say, come over here, get over here already. They don't understand that. It causes them to hate you. It causes them to defend and not able to hear the true argument or the true understanding or be taught, period. But be careful about that. And so he's saying, you guys are messing things up. They're coming, they're growing. But then they see you older brothers who they've been emulating, who they've been following. But then they see you over there and they think, well, you're a, you're a dirty, rotten creep. I thought you were a great guy. You were my mentor. You were, you were discipling me, you know. And now I can't receive the things I need to receive. It's easy, he says, easy. Slow down. There is not in everybody or everyone that knowledge. It is knowledge that needs to be learned, but not everybody has it, okay? Now, lest we get too carried away and get worried, okay, so what do I do with this? You know, how far do I take this? Well, you got to be led of the Spirit for one thing, and that's not a cop-out. That's a truth. I don't know who I'm going to be in front of. I don't know who I'm going to be talking to or having a dinner across from. I have to be led by the Holy Spirit. Is this a teaching moment? Or is this a moment that I need to understand this is a lesson this person's going to learn later on? It's not something I need to jam down their throat right now. You've got to be led of the Spirit. If you were to take it all the way, I shouldn't really even be teaching this. I shouldn't have even used that example about binary gender. Because there could be some in the crowd right now that might think, well, I had no idea that that was a sin or that that was still true, or that people still taught that from the pulpit, and now I've offended them and they can't hear the rest of the sermon. I can't stop all my sermons, you know. I can't talk about, I can't stop talking about barbecue because there might be a vegetarian in the crowd. I have to be careful. We, if we're going to go that far, then we really shouldn't worship on Sunday because there's a lot of people, younger brothers, that think we have to worship on Saturday because if you don't worship on Saturday, you're worshiping the sun on Sunday. Then you're a heretic. That's her- 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 heretical. Well... But if I worship on Saturday, then the Sunday folks are going to think I'm a heretic also because I haven't come out. You know, some of these things you can't win. What Paul's getting at is don't flaunt it. Don't do it for the purpose of offending or for the purpose of shoving it down their throat or wagging it in their face. Be careful about that. It may be a teachable moment. It may not be. But only the Holy Spirit will know and will show you at that time. You'll know it by this. You'll You'll be doing it in gentleness. You'll be doing it in love. You won't be doing it to be right or to show your maturity. You don't care about yourself anymore. You're no longer yours. You're Christ. You live for him. You don't live for yourself. And so whatever you do, it's for the benefit of the other person. Out of love, you're going to build them up. And if it's a teachable moment and it's a building up time for them to take a step forward, then you'll do it in love because you want them to step forward. If you find yourself just wanting to have an argument and to win it, uh, you're doing it to, because you're puffed up and you're actually not building that person up. So you'll know that. So Paul says, be careful. He goes, uh, he continues on there. Um, However, there is, there is not in everyone the knowledge, uh, that knowledge for some with conscience uh, of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not condemn us to God for neither if we eat um, are we the better 
nor if we do not eat, are we the worst. Now, it's a teachable moment for anybody hearing that for the first time in the Corinthian church. Oh, so food doesn't matter. No, never has. So don't get hung up on it. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours, and you do have it, I want to throw that in there, that liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you uh, thus sin against the brethren the w- and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, Paul does eat meat. This isn't something that we take out of context and say, see, we should really live our lives in such a way as to never offend anybody. But, but he wrote this. <laughs> Paul writes a lot of things. I don't want you to judge. And then he writes and tells them not to judge, which is judgmental. You understand? So he writes these things for a purpose to get us to learn on both sides. It's a safe way to do it. Um, he's trying to teach both sides so they can grow up. And, and If you're puffed up with knowledge, you have something to learn. You need to learn love. If you're full of love, you need to get knowledge. You need them both. He's not saying one is better than the other. He says you, you need both of them. And so for you who are puffed up with knowledge and like to eat in the temples and make the other guys feel bad, you need to grow up in love. He's telling both to grow up. And for those of you who are so hung up on food and just want to, you know, you need to grow up in knowledge and understand what Christ has done. You need to get more doctrine. You need to eat more of God's word and understand what's, what's changed in Christ. But he warns him, beware. Don't let your liberty become a stumbling block. That isn't a word we use, but we don't want to offend people on purpose. We want to teach We want them to grow, but we don't want to offend them on purpose. I'm not here to drive them away from the church with our liberty. I'm trying to draw them into liberty for their sake. As a pastor, I desperately want everybody to know the freedom they have in Christ and the complete grace and mercy that he's shown us. I want them to know that and show them what's sin and what's not sin. What truly Christ died for and what he didn't die for. Sometimes we we need to learn that. Some people think that he died for this reason, and no, he didn't have to die for that. That's always been legal. We've just been hung up on it because of tradition. It wasn't sin. And you need to grow up in that knowledge and understand that. But we don't want to do it for offense. We don't want to make them offended on purpose. I think, um, oh, what's the name of that? Oh, the church that does the protesting at the soldiers' funerals because of homosexuality in the Westboro. Westboro. Um, they do it for offense. Um, besides them being doctrinally in error, um, that's a side issue. That The heart is all... That's what I'm concerned with is their heart on the matter. Their heart on the matter is to offend on purpose. Not to change the nation. They're not trying to bring a nation to repentance. That, that's not how it happens, and they know that. That's not what God's Word tells us to do, to bring a nation to repentance about a certain subject. I would agree with them. Homosexuality is a sin, and it needs to be dealt with in our country, and we need to repent about it. That's a fact. But that's not how you go about doing it, nor does Christ authorize us to go about doing it that way. And so they're an error doctrinally. 
But besides all that, whether they've just picked a poor way to do it, um, their heart is wrong on the matter. It's not the heart of Christ. That's how I know they're wrong. Um, it's the heart of Christ. It's not the heart of Christ. They're, they're stumbling for, 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 on purpose. They're trying to make people um, weak and, and fall and stumble. Um, that's not how you bring someone to your way of thinking or to Christ's way of thinking. That's not how Christ brought me to his way of thinking. Um, and I need to follow his example and his lead on this. Um, there's a way to do it, and you've got to be led by the Spirit. And that, that isn't it, the way they do it. So there's a good example of it. Um, so, the biggest thing here is the conscience. If I show up, um, for me, that is a horrible thing. I can't do that. I haven't been given freedom in Christ. For me to do that, I feel like I'm wronging God. And it doesn't matter what it is. If, if I, because if I, that was such a hang-up for me when I was an unbeliever, if I do that now, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm shaking my fist at God. I can't do that. That's a conscience of mine. It doesn't mean that it's actually illegal in God's kingdom, it just means that for me to do that would for me to be shaking my fist at God. So no matter what, even if it was to pick up that chair, that chair has to stay on the ground. No matter what, that chair has to stay on the ground. If I was to pick that chair up, that'd be so offensive to God. Now, everybody here knows that's absolutely ridiculous, and God could care less whether I lift that chair up or not. But if I, in my heart, decide to lift up that chair, knowing it's going to make God mad, it shows my heart's not right with God. It shows you that I'm angry with him, and I'm going to lift this chair up and put it on the ground. And he's going, what are you doing? Who cares? But my heart is to be in rebellion against God. That's what he's talking about. So if I understand that about a person, and I feel free to eat here, I feel free to do that, but for them to go there or to do that would absolutely mean I'm shaking my fist at God. I'm causing them to stumble. I'm causing their conscience to stumble. They may say, well, I better just go in there anyway and do this even though I know what's wrong in my heart, but my older brother thinks I can do that, so I'm going to go in there and do that. And their first bite is, oh man, I'm going to hell, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've caused them to sin against God. Even though he could care less whether they were eating that or not, they think he cares. And they're willing to not do what they think is, dis- they're willing to do what they think is displeasing to God. Does that, am I getting it across? I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but that's the idea. Paul says, for conscience sake, it's for their conscience. It's not about whether it's illegal or not illegal. It's about the conscience here. You're causing them to shake their fist at God by emboldening them. Why would you want to cause them to perish, he says. It's a pretty bold statement. Why do you want to cause them to perish? Well, I don't. Of course not. So, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, now he's making a very strong point here, using absurdity to demonstrate absurdity. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. In other words, my heart is, I would never want to stumble you. I want to talk about Jesus. I don't want you staring at my dinner plate. I don't want you to be concerned of where we're eating. I I would rather sit in the grass outside and talk about Jesus and starve to death than have anything get in the way of that conversation. It's very simple for Paul. I'm here to preach the gospel. Food? Who cares? I'll eat grass if that makes you feel better, but let's talk about Jesus while we eat grass, you know? So he handles that. Guys, don't go to the... And you can read Romans 14 and get a really clear picture of that. He tells both sides, hey, grow up. All right, chapter 9. Am I not an apostle? So he moves on to a second subject here. Am I not an apostle? Well, yeah. Am I not free? Well, yeah. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? 
Well, yeah, that's true. Remember on the road, we got knocked off his horse or got knocked to the ground, whichever. Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. I was sent to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. The very fact that your church exists, Corinthians, is proof that I was sent by Jesus Christ. I think that's funny. They had gotten to the place where the very founder of their church, the very person who came and was sent by God, was never authorized to do so. They shouldn't listen to him anymore. They should hire other teachers to come in and that they should never pay attention to him again because he's a crazy, squinty-eyed, ugly, squeaky-voiced old man that doesn't know what he's talking about. That's, what, that's how Josephus describes him. Paul's like saying, do you understand that you guys got saved when I told you the gospel? Do you know that I didn't come here except that Christ sent me? And now you think it doesn't even make any sense. You're the very seal, the very fact that you're even writing and talking to me and that I'm writing to a church in Corinth is because I went. My apostleship, what are you talking about? You're the seal of my apostleship. You're the proof. You're the fruit. The very fact that I was called by God to do this. So, verse 3, my defense. I would have thought, Paul, above that. Defending yourself. Christ never defended himself. Christ always got wrong. He just let things happen, and he did it because he knew he was doing his Father's will. It was no big deal. But Paul says, no, I'm going to defend myself on this. And he does so not because of it. You know Paul doesn't care about himself. He'll get beat up and die and get raised from the dead and get stoned to death and beaten with He'll do all that stuff because he doesn't care about himself. What he's concerned with is that this doesn't continue, that this thought, that this idea doesn't continue anymore. I don't want this. I'm going to die someday. Paul knows that. I don't want this going on through the churches. I'm stopping this now. My defense to those who examine me in this, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, that's Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, none, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of, the, of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? He's talking about salaries, actually. He's talking about payroll. This is uncomfortable for a lot of people, but Paul lays it out very clearly. Now, he's going to get to the point where he says, now, I've never taken a salary from you ever, because I never wanted that to be a hindrance to the gospel coming out of my mouth. But we have a right to, and we could if we wanted to. And so does everybody else that's an apostle, someone who's teaching the Word of God, and he says that clearly, he's going to teach that. Now, this is where my little realtor and my little camera thing come into play that I was talking about earlier. I was excited about that. Well, I'm kind of in between jobs right now, you know. Um, so I'm taking a salary from the church. But when I don't need to take a salary from the church, I don't take a salary from the church. You know, you try to do the best you can to make sure the people are taken care of. I think if you average it out, I've probably since for 16 years, if you average it out, I probably got 150 to $225 a week. That's the average. That's my average income. First eight years or eight, first six years, we didn't take a dime. Didn't take anything for the first six years of planning this ministry. Then, took some. Then we couldn't afford it, so I went and got a job at Kawasaki. I didn't take any money then. But then I came back and got some money because we were doing well. Then we didn't do so well and again, so I went and worked at Neb's. And it's just worked like that. And so now I'm in between. I'm in between Rogers. I'm in between 
Does anybody want me to sell their house? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Because <laughs> I got to wait for a commission here before I can. <laughs> yeah, it's not that funny. Um, <laughs> so I'm taking a salary right now because we've got to finish paying our bills. We can't just stop. And we're not that wise with money that we've got thousands and thousands of dollars um, lying around. Um, got kids that want to go to college, kids that want to get married. I just got to get past December 2nd. I think I'll be okay. <laughs> That's when Seth's getting married. Um, and so I'm taking a salary right now. But that, I hope that doesn't last forever. I hope that, you know, so pray that these great businesses that are legal and ethical, um, you know, do well so that I don't need to do that anymore. We can keep doing what we've been doing. But it's okay. It's okay to take a salary. It's not a major deal. Um, and, and, and Paul says that. He goes, are we the only ones that don't have a right? Because Cephas has a wife. Peter has a wife. He brings her with him. She's a believer. And so does Jesus' brothers who are in the ministry, and they take along believing wives, and they're taking a salary. How come you guys are so upset about Paul and Barnabas, me and Barnabas taking a salary? Why is that bothersome to you? So he finishes with, do, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? So this isn't my opinion. Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it? Oxen God is concerned about? <laughs> or does God uh, say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is him being sarcastic. Do you think he's really talking about cattle? Well, no. I, I mean, the law is talking about when they're treading and this thing is, you know, walking around in circles all day long, treading out the grain, leave the muzzle off so he can eat grain while he walks along and does that. That's kind of motivating for him. It's okay. He goes, do you think God gave you that law because he was worried about oxen? Or is he talking about people in the ministry? He says, of course they're talking about people in the ministry. They need to. <laughs> They've got to get food somehow. Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Some would say, yeah. Some would say, yeah. I can't believe every time I go to church, you're just trying to get into my wallet. Two things there. Maybe you've had bad experiences about churches trying to constantly get into your wallet. And that is true. They do abuse that. On the other hand, maybe you got too tight a grip on your wallet. I'm sorry to say it, but maybe you'd pay more for a movie than you would for a Sunday morning service where the Word of God's taught to you, you know? Instead, you tip God every month. Here's 20 for God. God will be happy with that. No, 10%. 10%. That's a tithe, not including the offerings that are supposed to be way and above beyond that. Now, I'm not saying that because we need more money. I'm saying that because that's a principle Jenny and I have lived by. We've grown up into it, and it's a maturity thing. When you can tithe, that's great. Good for you. You've reached the Old Testament law, 10%. You know? But Christ has given us so much more above and beyond just meeting the law. He's exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's where the offering comes in. That's where it's, a, it's out of a heart of gratitude to God for all that he's done for you. Guys, honestly, offering is when we move forward in the ministry. Tithe, it covers our expenses but it's offerings that move us forward. It was an offering of that garage out there. It's an offering for that land that's being, but it's offerings that are going to build our next sanctuary. It's, that's what's going to get us moving. 
and moving in a, a more, not that we need more, but you know, it's those kind of things. It's how more people get on staff. That's how salaries for these folks that are doing such hard work around here get increased is by offerings. And so I say that because we get this idea that, you know, churches always want more money. No, we'll, like Paul says here, we're going to preach the gospel at a city park sitting on the grass. Makes no difference. But if we want this, and we want the playground, and we want the soccer field, and we want to have programs, we want people on staff, we want people doing this, we want to outreach, we want to do things like that, it costs money, you know. Insurance, your insurance, $7,000 a year just for insurance. That's so that we don't get sued. And if we do get sued, we're covered. I mean, things cost. So I, I say that to you, not to, you guys do great. No, no problem. But probably 30% of the church actually tithes. 30%. Can you imagine if everybody just decided to do the 10th? Just, a thir- just If the other 70% just decided to go ahead and I'm going to make a commitment, I'm going to actually do the 10th that's required by law in the Old Testament, not even the offering side of things. Imagine what would happen. Anyway, I only teach that because it's at these moments when we come across chapter 9 that I get to teach that because we won't hear about this for another four years. <laughs> So I'm going to send it to everybody in the church that wasn't here tonight. No, I'm just kidding. No, we don't pass a plate here. And we do that on purpose because it's between you and the Lord, but that does not change the responsibility. It just leaves it in your hands without any pressure to actually do what God places on your heart to do. So um, it's something you have to be disciplined about and actually do. And you have to do it with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver and he doesn't want people doing it because they have to or because someone's going to know or notice you know, um, anyway, so he says, this is for this. If the person's plowing, they need to plow in hope. And yes, I'm talking about they plow and sow spiritual things and what they get back should be some material things so that they can keep on plowing spiritual things. It's just a circle. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? In other words, they would pay the special speakers to come in and teach. But when Paul and Barnabas, they're the founders, they don't get any money. He's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. Nevertheless, Paul says, we have not used this right, but endured all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. God said that, Paul says. God says that. If you're going to preach the gospel, you should be able to live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things. That's why he can teach chapter 9 so clearly and write it so well. He's pretty bold about it, and I try to be too, but I do at times take from the altar. I do. Um, and, and, and I have no guilt about that at all. I know what God's word says. Um, but for Paul, he's able to write this and at the end of it say, but I've never done that. But don't be doing that to these younger. I mean, Timothy, he's got Titus. These guys are going to need to be taken care of. They want to have families, you know. So he says, um, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than, to, uh, that, than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, 
for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? Um, That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. There's the other side of things. You don't want to abuse it either. There is that. That happens. There's abuse. Um, And that causes people to shy away from it. Look, if you gave to Benny Hinn um, in your former days, in your first day, Benny Hinn's kind of a false teacher. Um, That kind of is. But you didn't know that when you first started listening to him. And you watched him on TV, and he spoke, and you really learned something from God, and you started sending him checks of $100. Later on, you realize this guy's a wacko, you know. He's a ho- He's a huckster, you know. Um, understand this. Everyone, every one of those dollar bills you sent to him, God saw it differently. No matter how he used it, no matter he abused you, God saw it differently. God saw your faith. God knew you were tithing to him. This man didn't do it right, but God saw it, and he is pleased with that, and he loves that. It's okay. You haven't lost it. You haven't done anything. I mean, you need to be wise now. I mean, with, with the amount of knowledge that you have, be wise. Um, but for those errors, for those mistakes, maybe, you know, God saw it, and he honors your faith. And so don't be so worried about it. And so he says that. I I don't want to abuse it. I don't want to abuse it. And so I want to be able to preach this so that people know that I preach the gospel not for money. I don't do it for a salary. I do it because I love God and I can't do anything but talk about him. I have to do it, you know. Um, So it's good. Verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew first, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without the law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but toward, uh, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. I mean, there's a lot there. Um, he became who he needed to be. Now, he remember when they had him shave his head and pay for the other guys to get their head shaved too um, because he came back to That's a long story if you don't know it, but he came back to Jerusalem to, to see everybody and to talk about things. And they said, well, everybody knows you're here, Paul, and all the guys that are legalistic hate you. So you better shave your head and take these other guys and pay for them to shave their heads and go through the law, the rituals. I make this, we don't know what God, we don't know what, we don't know what Paul did, but he did it. He shaves his head. He goes through all the rituals that he knows has no bearing on his spiritual walk, has nothing to do with Christ, but he did it anyway because he didn't want what he had to say be hindered by the fact that he they had these opinions of him. That didn't help. Nobody liked him any better because of it, but he did what he needed to do to make sure the gospel wasn't hindered in any way. And that's honorable. That's, that's good. And that's what he's talking about here. But when he came to the Gentiles, he was eating pig with the Gentiles. Right along with them. Because he knows he's without the law. Not, they're not under the law. They don't know anything about the dietary law. They were never put under the dietary Only Jews were put under the dietary law. Not a, there's one Gentile that's ever been put under dietary law. Ever. We put ourselves under it sometimes, but God has never done that. 
And so Paul knows that these things have all been changed. So when he would sit down with the Gentiles and eat with them, he would eat whatever they were eating. It didn't make any difference. Just like Peter would do. He became who he needed to become so that they weren't. Because if he starts, I can't eat pork, you know, that's it's wicked and sinful. The people eating it are like, well, I better not eat pork then in front of Paul. What were you going to tell us about Jesus? It became a problem. Okay. Um, Paul lets us know, look, whatever you need to do, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Now that means he's preaching to unsaved people. And then he writes letters like this to saved people. So there is a growing up that has to take place. To the unsaved, I'll be whatever you need me to be. I just want you to hear about Jesus. I don't care about any of this. I just want to talk about Jesus. But then he writes letters like this. He says, now we need to grow. Now we need to grow. So um, I wanted to save some. Verse 24, we conclude with a, a running, uh, a running a race. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I, I like that for a whole host of reasons. <laughs> because I'm a, I'm a coach. And I don't think you ought to play sports unless you want to win. I don't see any purpose in the participation trophies. And yes, I keep track when we play t-ball. We won. Oh, everybody won. No, we won. <laughs> we smoked you. I mean, your kids couldn't run the... I mean... I'm not that bad, but I keep track. And I guarantee you this, when you go up to your team and you say, hey, kids, wasn't that a great game? We're all winners. Every one of those kids knows exactly what the score was. Yeah, that was great. We all won. We really won. That's what they say in the dugouts. They all know it. Paul says, don't run unless you want to run to win. Don't run to get the T-shirt. Don't jump in this just to get the T-shirt. Run. Wear out. Now, you may not win, only one person is going to win the prize, but run in such a way that you at least look like you might have won if everybody else had fallen on their face. You know, run, run, run. When it comes to Christianity, there's no participation trophies. We're in this to win it. I want to come screeching across the finish line, you know, up in heaven, sliding through the pearly gates, you know. That's how I want to come across. What place did I get? Last. But man, you were hustling. You know, Paul says, run, run in such a way that you're going to win. Don't run in such a way that you might get a participation trophy. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Ooh, now he's getting into training. Not only run hard, but run in such a, train in such a way that you might have a chance to win. Prepare yourself in such a way. Don't go out to the Mazingo 5K and eat donuts all the way up to the you know, starting line. Start thinking about this ahead of time. Maybe do a little bit of running before you get there. Maybe get stretch out at least, you know. Is temperate in all things. As a Christian, I, I, I don't want to go, well, you know, right before I die, I'm really, really going to try hard and tell everybody about Jesus at the nursing home. No, no, no. Be temperate in all things. Start training now. Start living in such a way that you could, you're an athlete. You're a Christian athlete. Prepare your body. Prepare yourself. Prepare your mind, study God's word, prepare and show yourself approved like you've been in it to win it. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So how much more valuable is it for us to train now? Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, so I run with certainty. 
Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. No, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm someone who's been sparring. I was thinking about, uh, um, I know, I'm, we got some time. We got five minutes. And I'm really close to concluding here, but because the kids aren't ready anyway, so you got to listen to me. So. But I was thinking about, uh, Tracy Barnes was saying, I remember this years ago he showed me this. He, used to, he boxed with, with Spencer and with Jace. Um, up in their attic or something like that. I don't remember the full details of it, but they would box. Until Spencer about knocked him flat. You know, Spencer's a big boy. And he said, that's when we hung up the boxing gloves after I got knocked flat. I tell you what, I'll take Spencer in a fight any day alongside of me than someone who's been, I don't know, air shadow boxing, you know. Look at my skills on the speed bag. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd rather have Spencer, you know. And that's the idea. He says, I don't fight as one who beats the air. I'm not someone who's been practicing on a speed bag my whole life. We've been in the ring, you know. We've been grabbed. There's something about getting knocked around. Everybody saw that video of my daughter's wrestling. I had my daughter-in-law wrestling. I'm really sorry about that, Amy. Um, For the record, did she fill you in on that? She wanted in on it. See, my two girls start wrestling around in there, and I think it's funny, and I'm just, and they, they throw each other around. And, and all of a sudden, we walk in, and there's, there's Andrea on her knees kind of watching. And JC's holding Caleb, and he goes, well, go ahead if you want to get this. Be careful. All of a sudden, boom, there goes Andrea into the mix. I'm like, wow. So I videotaped this thing. There's something about getting knocked around. There's something about that experience. There's something about uh, getting your hands on it. And guys, spiritually speaking, it doesn't do any good to have Bible study after Bible study, quiet time after quiet time, even prayer time after prayer time. We got to get in the mix. We got to be in front of somebody who doesn't know Jesus and say to them, do you know how to get to heaven? And have that conversation. Not just say, I've studied all about evangelism. We had a, we had a book club. <laughs> no, no, no. Get out on the corner, get out on the street and tell someone about Jesus Christ for the first time and get some real action and they may pummel you. You may come across some brilliant atheist that's just going, yeah, well, what about this? And you're like, oh man, I'm woefully unprepared for this conversation. That's okay. You got in there, you got beat up, now get back and now train some more, now get back out there and do it again. There's something about that. Getting out there. And Paul says, I don't, I don't beat the air. Spiritually speaking, I am taking names, you know. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Thus I run, not as one with uncertainty, but with certainty. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, Paul was not doing well physically. He's not talking about running 12 miles in the morning. He's not talking about eating right. He's talking about sin. I've disciplined my body. I don't listen to it anymore. When it tells me you're having a craving for this sin, I don't pay attention to it. I fight. I'm preparing myself for that moment when I step out and nobody can point the finger and say, yeah, I saw you over there doing that. You're no better than anybody else. No, I've lived my life in such a way, I've disciplined my body in such a way that no one can say that about me. When I preach the gospel and say that God is holy, therefore I'm holy and he wants me to be holy, they look at me and they say, yeah, you do live a holy life. He does that. He wants us all to do that. That's what he's, that's what he's writing to the Corinthians. Guys, you know, stop arguing amongst about, each, about little things, small things. Um, 
And let's fight to win. Let's run to win. You know, let's get in the mix. Let's get in the fight. Let's not be all academic. Um, let's have some practical. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's, um, he's very candid. I appreciate that. Um, Interesting to meet him. I'm probably sure I wouldn't want to. I'm pretty sure he'd have a lot to say to me. But I hear it from you, and you're a great teacher, and I appreciate what you've taught us tonight, God, about all of these things. They're very practical things. They're very real things. It's not academic. It's actual practical spiritual walk with you, God. And I thank, I thank you for that. So God, to help us to know these things in our heart, that we shouldn't be, we should be growing up, we should be getting stronger, knowing your word, understanding doctrine, so we know what is right and what is wrong, what's pleasing to you, what isn't. We want to know that. But with that knowledge, God, we pray that you'd equally give us as much love, that we'd be able to use that knowledge to build people up, that we would use that love to encourage people in the Lord, to bring them along slowly like you brought us along slowly. Even tonight, you may have showed us some things. We thank you for that. You're a very good teacher. Help us to be good teachers too. Help us to be a blessing to those around us, knowing that, look, we're all going to heaven. The salvation thing's behind us. We know that Christ died on the cross for our sins, but now let's grow. Let's grow in the knowledge of all these things, but in love. Lord, for the salary thing, for the tithing thing, for the offering thing, Lord, help us to, help us to really hear your voice, to really pay attention to that, God. No matter whether we go to this church or some other church or someplace else or some orphanage or whatever, Help us to hear your voice and to do it. Such a blessing there to be obedient to you in these things. Um, anyway, we thank you for this tonight. Bless these guys as they go. Lord. Bless our Sunday school teachers, our Wednesday school teachers, and I bless all, bless all the kids, God, and all that they learned tonight. I pray that um, it would stay in their little hearts and that it would bear fruit, Lord, in their little lives. Uh, we love you. We thank you for this place. In Jesus' name, amen.